Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I'm Eric Acker, hosting with Karen. Hey, guys. So we hope you guys had a chance to listen to the last special, last week's episode uh, with Matthew uh, Ferrer and his <laughs> significant other, Alyssa Espinoza. It was kind of fun. It was, I think, one of the few times we've done a special episode where Karen's gotten to kind of sit in on it. Yeah, it was nice to do a couple's episode. I'm sorry for the audio. We did, ended up doing it in a different room just to accommodate space. Yeah, and we, we typically try to use three microphones for those setups, and we ended up, one of the microphones wasn't cooperating with us, and so we ended up, no, we actually did have three. We just had, we didn't quite tune it, the, we didn't turn the gain in the correct direction, and there was some just basic audio issues, and so it's not the best audio I've done, and it kind of annoys me a little bit, but <laughs> I mean, at this point, you've done like 50 episodes, you should have a, a system, but... Anyway, we were, we were happy to have Matt and Alyssa. That, that was a fun episode. And Matt, just more backstory. I, I was with him. If you didn't pick up on that, I, I was with Matt during my internal medicine rotation with Dr. Lomboy. Uh, he's a very smart student, very capable person. He's got a lot of drive and motivation for what he wants to do in medicine and his future. And so it was just kind of long overdue to have him on that show. So now we get to try to update you on the, basically the comings and goings of the last two weeks <laughs> of this rotation. And so we are recording this on Monday. So this is the last week of my, my uh, subspecialty in the surgery core. And so we are, we are getting close to the end. We are we're taking a shelf exam on Friday and then we will be done with our core rotations, which essentially means we don't have anything to do until I finish step Two, don't have anything to do. Quote, unquote, uh, don't have anything to do. <laughs> Eric's already freaking out. <laughs> no, I, I just have a few things on my plate. I don't, I don't know, just a little stressed out. Uh, just as an example, you get to this part of the year, you're looking down at ERAS applications, so residency match applications are starting to kind of come online. We did we did the token a few weeks ago. Now we got to kind of build the ERAS application, so that's kind of the background information on you that's going to be sent off to the programs you're getting. Now we've asked about all these patients, all these uh, preceptors about letters of recommendation. Now we're trying to get the upload stuff to them so they can finish the letters of recommendation and upload it so that it's uh, available on your ERAS so they can go out to the programs again. So that's going on. Then we're, of course, still, we have a shelf exam. We still have to, you know, finish the cores. <laughs> we still have to pass everything. So as much as like, oh, well, you know, Friday we'll be done with surgery. It's like, well, I still have to take the exam. I still have to pass the exam because that if I don't do that, that kind of that causes issues in the rest of this process. And then, of course, step two is uh, I'm taking mine on August 5th, which is a Friday. A whole bunch of my cohort are taking theirs earlier, some a little bit later. Um, but essentially, we're all preparing for step two, CK. And then, of course, there's we're getting to the point where we have to do another bout of financing. So we do another student loan to cover 
the next term and the, the next basically until we are done and graduated. So we had it's not the way that our school does it. You basically pay tuition for 10 terms and then you pay like uh, records keeping fees. So those are the mandatory costs that you have to get financed or, you know, have someone pay for. In our case, we finance it. Uh, thanks to Sally Mae. But also we have living expenses as well, which you can draw for uh, loans for living expenses until you graduate, which I'm not always very clear on whether graduation is when I finish my my last the last month of when I finish my last elective or if it's like when I walk down the auditorium with my cape and or robes and whatever cape. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyway, I, I'm not entirely clear on what all that entails. So we we have our budget, I think, planned out that will hopefully keep us alive and afloat until residency in that which would start in July. So we have we have a few plans that we're kind of working on. And of course, on top of all that, we are still doing preparations for away rotations. We are doing vehicle repairs. My AC system is uh, acting up a little weird, so we're trying to figure that out. And then, of course, the surgery rotation itself. So we're having to fulfill all the obligations therein. It's been... Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing something here besides, like, actually be an active member of the family, <laughs> <laughs> be present with the kids and be a spouse. You know, there's a few things I, I feel like I, I might be missing on this list, but... I don't know. It's it, just been busy. Just, More for Eric than for me. I mean, I'm just here. I'm, I'm you're just support. here. <laughs> no, you keep taking care of the family so that I can do all this stuff. Honestly, it's you probably do a lot more of the heavy lifting here. But it's it's been a lot of fun. It's uh, it's just it's exciting, but it's also I don't know stressful because you there's a lot of things coming due. So there's a lot of extra time you get to kind of set aside because you can't just ignore and procrastinate like i still have to do some work on my personal statement once i get that finished up then that's good i have to do certain attributes that i send to the dean so the dean can write my mspe so there's like a few things that are going on that i i gotta kind of work on and then i guess i forgot to add to this where i'm still working on a research project with a resident here at Houston Hospital, so I have a little bit of. We had a meeting today, and I have some writing to do on that as well. So I got a, a few things spinning. Out. At least that for that one, they they understand I'm in a residence. I'm I'm in a process of getting to my step two, CK, and so he's I think not holding us really responsible for not, not getting things done in a very timely manner. But it's been it's been busy. It's been. It's been a little bit stressful. We're not sleeping as much, but we are. We're, I guess we'll get to that in a little bit about our. Uh, let's let's just get to it now. So we we took a. We've been trying to punctuate this study for step two with practice tests, and I took a practice test for step two. It didn't go. Well, you've taken more than I've, one. I've taken step two. this would be my third one, third actual full length practice practice exam, and it just didn't go as well as I had intended. Like I was hoping for. A really good score and I got not a good score. So this is a third third NBME that we've taken. I think I've exhausted all the NBMEs at this point. So I, I'm more or less left with my, my two U-World self-assessments and the free 120 that uh, NBME offers as well. So, um, but I mean, I have like four or five weeks now until step two. And I know this is rationalization. There's a part, there's a part of me that goes, well, I've been in the middle of a rotation and I barely had time to study for the rotation shelf exam, much less try to study for a step two. So I haven't really made the gains that I you know, would have liked to have made on 
studying for step two, so I shouldn't be expecting to have an outstanding step two assessment score. But that's just me. That's maybe a little bit of a rationalization. At, at this point, I feel like I should have been building on each sub subject that it's not reinventing the wheel. But there's obviously things I've forgotten from OBGYN and pediatrics and all my earlier shelves that are coming back to kind of bite me a little bit so we're we're working on it but that that was a bit of a wake-up call almost a month we were almost a month out when I took that self-assessment so the goal is to not have a failing exam or a a fail practice test in the same month of your actual shelf uh, board exam because that doesn't really bode well you you kind of want to have a good good show uh good showing so anyway as much as Eric is hard on himself, like there are other students that are also taking practice tests and not doing as well as they had hoped. So as much as like you beat yourself up, your cohort is also kind of in the same time crunch, I guess I would say. And I think your term has consistently scored higher than the previous, I don't know how many terms. And so I think it's just a matter of time and effort and once you get done with your shelf, all of your study, t- all of your time is dedicated study time for step two. And my bet is you're going to do a very similar thing to Seth, where you're just going to start your U world. Seth basically just, from my understanding, he did that set, however many questions you get on your step two, he did that many U world questions in a day. But he was basically going through U world questions and trying to get up his endurance. endurance yeah. So I have a feeling you're going to be very similar in that regard, and then you're going to be going over what you got wrong and why. Yeah, I was kind of thinking you might talk about. We was when I came home and talked about it. We, we developed a plan. Oh yes. So our plan is. So Eric has. He seems to come home from vacations and just be exhausted, which makes sense. I mean, he's doing quite a bit, and he will try and do questions at night, and he he's falling asleep while doing questions. And then I'll, I'll wake him up and just be like, just put it down and go to bed. And he's like, just let me finish this. And I don't think it's, we, we determined that it wasn't the best way to study. So our plan is to try and get to bed earlier than we have been. So before 1130 at night and to try and wake up between 4 and 430, get a set of questions done, whether that be 20 or more done before he goes into his rotation, do his last week of rotation and then when he gets home he can be done for the day if he gets in a few anky cards while we eat and watch tv that's fine but not to put the pressure on to continue to study at night just make sure that you're actually getting the sleep that you need wake up early start your day off feeling like you have accomplish something and then continue on yes that we're, we're trialing that out this week um we we didn't start it today just because we kind of got to bed pretty late last <laughs> night <laughs> so but i think in general sometimes it's, and this is i guess i put a note in here and karen just didn't understand what the note was but sometimes that in the evening if karen is out doing something with friends or something like that then it does free me up to have a little bit of time to do more questions and whatnot so like Karen goes to game night and I, I like games and whatnot, but a lot of times like it's usually a Sunday evening and that's family time. But if Karen goes to game night, which is totally fine, that gives me some time to put in some extra study time in the evening. So I kind of get a little bit extra study time. Karen gets some uh, much needed adult time. So it kind of works out well for her because then she's actually getting out there and seeing adults and having conversations that are not just about 
kid stuff. It's not just re- it's repeating herself multiple times. It's it's actually having simulating conversations or at least doing something fun. And so Karen, Karen gets a little bit out of it, and I get something out of it. So it, it's been something that we've been doing, and I think with this new strategy, Karen might find herself, you know, maybe she goes out shopping with one of her friends in the evening, and I, I stay home while the kids are in bed, and I just study, and I think that, that could work out as well. So Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's why we got to bed late last night. So I went to game night, and I didn't get home until eleven, eleven thirty, and then we talked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there is that part of it too. Yeah. So that that's essentially what we're trying to kind of working towards right now, and hope, hoping to get in a good groove and get some kind of churning through the questions. I think because essentially what we've been told from previous students, and what we've been told is just generally you want to get through questions like. You know a lot of information. You've seen a lot of the information. Reading is typically considered a very low-yield way to get information. If you read like a big textbook, the amount of time it will take you to read through pages and pages of information and having to reread or write notes based off of a highlight, generally you're not retaining as much information as if you just do a question that tests your ability to retain the information. You get it wrong okay, that stinks, you can write notes, you can uh, read the explanations and then move on. And then later on, uh, you can actually go back and look over your incorrect answers and redo them and get, you know, trying to make sure that you actually remember the correct answer, you remember the rationale for why you, the, the right answer is the right answer. So generally speaking, questions have been considered the highest yield. And that's not just me saying it, that's like every tutor that I've talked to or it'd be like a you know divine intervention and then there's another guy Mel Melmed or something like that on YouTube like well it said in, in like one of the front of your one of oh, your books, yeah like, like even for, even like first aid not oh, Kaplan first aid. <laughs> Kaplan like makes mints off of their textbooks <laughs> like, but I didn't know what book it was but <laughs> I remember seeing like the front page and like what yields the most yeah first aid I think in the yeah the opening uh, introductions they talk about like the most high yield ways to study and like reading textbooks was like the most low yield way to to get through it. i'm not trying to bash anyone who learns based off reading textbooks i good hats off to you i get bored and i spend like probably an hour on the first couple of paragraphs and that's just not a very useful way to spend my time but and i'm just going kind of off of what i've been told by tutors and what's kind of worked for me in the past as well is just questions, doing questions, but not just doing questions, but like reading the explanations, really understanding the the concepts. Like if you made a guess and you got lucky, like don't just move on and just assume you got it. <laughs> you know it because you just because you got lucky because you may not get lucky next time. Um, and so it's it's a form of studying that involves you actively applying information, and then you're also exposing yourself to how a, how a question could be formed based on or how how a concept could be tested based off of the question. And so it's I think helpful to see that and be familiar with how things are going to be pitched to you, how things are going to be looked at. Because there's there's one thing to look at the certain pathologies and just kind of go, oh, I know it should present with this, this, and this. And then when you're tested and they only give you like half of the symptoms and you're just kind of like, I don't know, what, how, am I, how am I supposed to get to the answer? And it's like, okay, well, if you see a lot of these questions, you're going to get more used to that. You're going to get more familiarized with the, how they're pitching the questions to you and you know how, how the test takers, because the, the test taker, uh, makers have to they have to give you 
certain clues to get you down the right path. And some, sometimes they're very obvious and sometimes they're not very obvious. They're very subtle. And that can be very frustrating. It's a, kind of a common pastime right now. There's a few students who are in step two t- uh, study mode that will come to the hospital for the free lunch and they will discuss the U-world questions that have angered them <laughs> over, the, over the last couple of days and I think any you go on Reddit or you go anywhere and you can talk to a few med students out there who have seen a, a one or two U world questions that have just like like dropped the hammer on them or like you know only 37% of students who answer that question answered it correctly you know th- those kind of questions where you're just like I don't understand how am I supposed to get this answer correct so I'm a little bit of a tangent here on how to study so well, anyway I'm, I'm taking the advice of other people and trying to apply it to myself and trying to get my my butt in gear because I have I have some work to do I, if I want to get a good score I have a long road ahead of me and I only have four weeks to do it good times <laughs> you're good. go ahead Oh, I was just saying along with the study portion, like, so if Eric gets something wrong, it drives him nuts. So I'll hear about it. But in addition to like, he goes back and looks at the notes that he's made off of those videos and he'll be like, okay, so did I actually have this in my notes? And if not, he'll typically add it. And then, or if he did have it, he'll clarify more, I think. Yeah. There's been a, a few times like, I, cause I'm kind of again going back to advice that Seth Elu gave me and Seth Elu from previous podcasts you might remember he's the medical student who now is a doctor who is working as uh, he's a resident for an emergency medicine program uh, very smart guy i kind of tend to think that i learn along the same lines and the same way that he learns and i have i suffer from some of the same problems of like test fatigue and so i was really t- taking a lot of advice from him like at what he did to get through third year medical school and get into the match cycle and that was one of his suggestions was doing the online med ed online med ed videos, writing notes. So he would I think use the notes from the actual website and then adding your notes on top of them so that you have a very because online med ed is a kind of a foundational <laughs> bit. And then some people don't like it and some people can't stand the videos. But whatever you're gonna use as your your foundational note taking videos, like when you did all your shelves and whatnot. I just go in like Karen said, and I, I uh, add little bits of information if they forgot to mention certain things, whether it may be an online med ed and they just kind of hand waved at something and you kind of missed it, then you can go back in and rewrite it in there. Or like I think the other day I rewrote how to do breast, uh, if a patient came to you with a breast lump and the algorithm you're supposed to kind of follow with that, I rewrote it because... Whatever I wrote down when I was watching the video didn't make a whole lot of sense when I was reviewing it after I got a question wrong. So I just rewrote the algorithm based off of what UWorld gave me. And it was very similar. This was, you know, my original one was missing certain points. And so instead of trying to edit a big old flow chart, I just rewrote the flow chart. And again, just really going back over your notes, rewriting, uh, adding extra notes to it, reading the notes. I, I intend this is kind of going back to like repetition so you're not re-reading like a chapter in a Kaplan textbook you're just rereading very quick notes like and I have my notes kind of uh organized kind of like how online meta presents certain things like path a condition's name it's pathology or epi- basically it's pathology like how how the condition is shown you know arises is it 
autosomal dominant? Is it because of certain mutations? Blah, blah, blah. And then I have how it presents and just a list of different presentations that you might see it as. And if, occasionally you have like risk factors in there or common associations. And then how to diagnose it and then how to treat it. Because generally in speaking, step two is really, really obsessed with how to diagnose something because they're going to ask you, they're going to give you some weird presentation of a patient and you're going to have to try to get to the diagnosis and then figure out, okay, if I was going to try to get to this diagnosis, how do I do that? And some processes involve algorithms. Like, do you do an ultrasound first and then do a Ryu scan and then do a fine needle aspiration? Or, you know, how do you get to this point? And sometimes the question stem will get you like three steps into the algorithm and then you have to know what's the fourth step. So, <laughs> so I, I write my notes like that. And so then I add extra things in if I'm just missing stuff. And again, I'm on, I'm on a little bit of a tangent here, aren't I? <laughs> That's all right. I, I think it's useful. Anyways, so this is Eric's last week of ortho. Yes. And I think you have enjoyed it. I have. I, I was... I think the first week was tough, and I was coming off of the first week because I was coming off of a, my general surgery rotation, and I feel like six weeks in general surgery, I, I worked pretty hard, and I was a little disappointed with how I was reviewed on that, and that was just, just kind of a bit of a bummer. So my first week of ortho, I ended up doing, like I think, all five days of clinic, and that was kind of tough. <laughs> well... So this clinic or practice... Yeah, it's a group of yeah, four positions. They, four I think this six. is the first rotation where they've just been like, well, you you kind of make your own schedule. You follow who you want to follow. You do what you want to do. They don't even say that, to be completely honest. Well, no, and I think that's why you're a little lost because like... <laughs> well, you have to try to figure out on day one who you with. And they give you like five doctors every day with a different doctor. And I found out on day two that, you know, one of the doctors I was supposed to be with wasn't even there. So I was like, okay, I'm, I gotta, I'm not going to go home. Like, I got to find something else to do. So I found a different doctor to go with. And nobody is really there to tell me, go here, do that. You just kind of have to figure out who you want to be with. And of course, I have little to no experience of any of these physicians, any of these surgeons. So it's like, who do I actually want to be with? And um, day, I mean, it just so happened because day one, I was with Dr. Phillips. I've been with Dr. Phillips probably about half the time and maybe a little bit less than half the time. And then I, Dr. Wiley, um, Bill Wiley is another orthopedic surgeon. He's got a brother, David Wiley. And I spent, I think, one my day. first day yeah. with David Wiley, but, he, but he's been on a vacation since then. But I ended up starting to see Dr. Bill Wiley in clinic. And so now I'm with Bill Wiley for half the time. And I know there's like Dr. Harris and Dr. Esam and the, <laughs> the other two doctors I haven't really worked with. I ha I've never actually rotated with them at all. Well, but, but that I've, was I've been trying to like maximize. Yes. Yeah, like because the goal of this rotation is to essentially get a lot of exposure, but at the same time uh, build a relationship with the physicians so that I might be able to ask for a letter of recommendation. And I kind of felt like if I did just one doctor, I would get a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, um, I can build a rapport with that particular physician and that would be good for a letter, but then I wouldn't have my second letter. And 
So I'm doing two positions, but I don't know if I can do three and still build the rapport that I would really want to build. So I think two positions is about the sweet spot I want to be. So I'm basically rotating with Dr. Phillips and Dr. Uh, Bill Wiley. So. Yeah, and you've liked it. And they both have some like strong pros and cons. Not, I mean, not, not a lot of cons, but like different different pros. Like Dr. Phillips, he kind of prefers that I go see the patient you know, do my own interview with the patient, do my own physical exam, and then come out and just present to him. And then he'll go in and he'll do his physical exam and his history taking if he feels like it's necessary. And that's kind of built over, you know, the course of, a, you know, like if there's a, a brand new patient, he might do the his own history. He might repeat everything. If there's a brand new patient, it's a repeat patient that he's seen multiple times and you know, I'm presenting because that's the first time I've seen the patient. He might take what I say about the updates and just kind of run with it. He might trust me a little bit more on those ends. Whereas on new patients, I think it's a responsible thing to do is to make sure you understand the clinical picture yourself. So Dr. Phillips tends to let me be a little bit more more my own person. He'll still tell you know, go in and see the patient, and I see it see the patient with him, and then he builds the plan. And so if the patient needs an injection, I go get the supplies, I bring them in, and I do the injection. There's a couple of injections I have not done. It's just because they're either very painful or they're in like weird spots, and he's just like, I'll just do it. But he well, lets. And there are some patients that. Oh, there's they... definitely some patients of like, history he has taught taught him that he should just be the one that yes, <laughs> treats yes. them. So, <laughs> but that's not a reflection on Eric. That's just a. Uh, I know these patients yes. and I know their personalities, <laughs> and it's just going to be better for everyone if I just do it. So yeah, but I've been doing a lot of injections, and then. Well, Dr. Bill Wiley, he's kind of more of the, I can be with him in the room and listen to him interview and talk to the patients, and I can do all his injections, because I've been doing all his, his injections, but he doesn't tend to just let me, you know, send me off to a patient's room and say, okay, go chat with this patient. Yeah, but uh, he has been a lot more hands-on, letting you to be a lot more hands-on in the surgical yes. room. So, like, yeah, when we do surgery, there's a, there is, like, a night and day difference. Like, the first day of shadowing Dr. Phillips, I, I don't, I think I scrubbed in for every case, but, like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> like, you, you know, maybe you hold a leg here and there, but, like, you're not actually doing a whole lot. So you kind of feel like you scrubbed in just to get close to the surgery, which is like, okay, I guess. But with Dr. the first few days with Dr. Wiley, it was like, okay, hold this. All right, now do this. And I think we were doing a hip fracture. And he, and you know, after getting kind of things all set up, he was like, okay, take this hammer, take this rod. Now hammer this rod in, into the femur. And you're just like, okay. And so you're hammering this, I don't know, foot and a half rod into this lady's femur and you're just like okay and i mean it's literally just a, ha a metal hammer on metal and you're just ting you know tinging away and you will take a, a quick x-ray and go okay i think we need to go another inch or so and you you're trying to gauge based on how you're hitting, <laughs> hitting it. like okay how much further do you think i gotta go and so that was pretty cool and then I think he allowed me to screw in a few things. So there you was some things. You gotta do an amputation. And I did, did an amputation. So like, there's a lot of stuff he like kind of let me do, and it's obviously under his guidance. He's not just like, yeah, go ham, go go crazy. I'll sit in the corner. Like <laughs> he's there watching and making sure. And I'm sure most of what I'm doing is pretty foolproof. Like 
I mean, maybe not totally foolproof. Like you can still do some damage to the patients if you're you're acting crazy. But I obviously don't know. Like, what's the next step? My next step is obviously to do this, this, and this. Like, I don't know that. So I'm not really doing the surgery. I'm just kind of the the monkey that's handed the tools, and I get to do all of that. And that's been fun, though. It's been fun to be involved and feel like you're a part. And he's also he's let me do suturing at the end of all his cases. Uh, Dr. Phillips has recently, I think my second day of surgery with him, he let me do a lot of suturing as well. So that, that's been nice. And holding some equipment, like, you know, suctioning and holding limbs and holding retractors. So basic stuff that medical students can, can do and hopefully not screw up. <laughs> so, like, the surgeries have been good. It's now It's nice to be scrubbed in and actually doing something. And it's actually surprisingly how different... I'm trying to think of how to put this in words. Like when I was in my general surgery rotation, I felt like I was watched 100% of the time. Uh, If I stepped wrong in the room, I would get yelled at. And I was kind of constantly on edge about how I looked, what how people were perceiving me and how I needed to be quiet. And like all sorts, I was trying to like monitor and maintain like a dozen different things at any given time. And at the same time, doing almost nothing. Just so at the end of the procedure, I can throw one stitch and hopefully land it and not get it cut by the tech. <laughs> That's how I felt like general surgery went. And that, I mean, I it was ner- nerve-wracking. And like you spend a lot of time just like, I don't know, feeling really nervous. And whereas orthopedics, I felt I feel like the entire operating room is so much more calm. Like there are certain parts of the surgery that you can feel it's like the tension kind of gets up a little bit when maybe things aren't going exactly as planned. But all in all, like these, a lot of these surgeries, even though you're like replacing this lady's hip or you're fixing a fracture or you're uh, doing a, a shoulder scope, like everyone's pretty chill and talking and having it and not laughing and having a good, you know, like we're not joking around and having a totally great time, but like, the nurses are all supportive and helpful and some of them actually know my name now which is kind of nice um and when you walk into the room they're like oh okay you're gonna be here what's your glove size and they kind of help me out and <laughs> and they you know they help if i need my my helmet adjusted because during you do total hips and total knees you have to wear a hood and you wear this kind of a weird helmet looking thing and they've you know help you get set situated and get it adjusted and they're not mean about it. There's reps there who are also there to be helpful, and they chat with you. Um, there's some joking around. Anesthesiologists tend to be more involved. There's been a lot of talking about trucks lately, and I don't know what that's about. But <laughs> <You're> in the <laughs> south, <laughs> I guess so. Like everyone's talking about the different trucks or jeeps that they own and what they want to buy. A jeep it's, is not a truck. Yeah. Well, this guy has the jeep truck. You've you've seen them. I have seen. You them. have seen. Okay. Like, but he's got like a dozen jerry cans hanging off the side of it and it's really kind of funny looking like i walk past it i think every day when i would go to the or definitely unique it stands out anyway the i guess the environment is so much different and and dr phillips is not the same as dr bill wiley like dr phillips is kind of his own guy he likes sports he's really into little league baseball which is apparently a thing around here like i didn't realize they had like travel teams in little league baseball and well, there's almost baseball like, fields around every corner. Yeah, but like, it's like year-round, almost. Well, yeah. They're even at the, all the churches. 
Yeah. They have a baseball field per church. I know it, it's uh, it's very different from what I grew <laughs> up experiencing, I guess. And like they talk about different players and different teams, and these are like little leagues, so like high school age kids. And it's like, oh man, there's even like a apparently a rep who he was in the world's little league world series, and he hit a game winning home run during the little league world series. And I guess every time ESPN does like a special on the World Series, every time they have a new Little League World Series every year, they show that video. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so like the the kind of joke, the rep seems like a nice guy, but it's like the it's kind of joke is like he already peaked. He peaked in his high school, <laughs> you know, his high school years, and so it's like, oh man, how how do you come back? How do you uh, progress from like hitting the home run in Little League? Because obviously, like he's not in the pros anymore. He's not in the pros at all. Um, well, but it makes sense because it's just so dang hot here. You have to have a sport that you <laughs> It's a sprint and then you stop. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't offend half of our audience, Karen. <laughs> I know you're like, oh, soccer is so much better of a sport, but uh, baseball has its place. It does. <laughs> Karen's like, in the South where you only sprint. <laughs> I could never hit a ball. It's not, it's not one of my uh, strong points. And anyway, I, I was trying to get that, like, Dr. Phillips is really into the sport stuff and that. I, admittedly, I, I don't have time as a med student to spend a lot of time on sports. That's not my highest priority. There are other medical students who do spend more time, like Matthew uh, Ferrer from last week. He spends a lot more time on sports, but I do podcasts and I, <laughs> I do other <laughs> things. Four kids. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, other other responsibilities, other things that I, you know, that if they were gone, I would, I maybe could fill with sports. So I'm not trying to say anyone who, any med student who is really into sports, is doing a bad job or anything like that. Anyway, but Dr. Bill Wiley is generally, he's, he doesn't seem like he's really into sports. He might be, but he like he likes his trucks. He like, like his truck. Uh, he talks a little about his family. And usually the first case of the day, he does a verse of the day, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing. He'll do the, the timeout and we, which, what case we're doing, blah, 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 allergies, medications. And then he'll do, okay, and the verse of the day is, and he pulls out his phone and reads, like, whatever the verse of the day is. Oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's it's very different. And um, and, and it seems like the nursing staff kind of respond pretty well to that. And he has, I think, told us uh, we had a dinner with him, um, which is a completely different story. We had a dinner for the <laughs> Christian group just kind of talking about uh, place of prayer and in, in medicine and he was kind of talking about how sometimes like doing the verse of the day before the case puts you in a different mindset that you know if you put your mind on god when you start the case then maybe you don't yell at your nurses maybe you don't be a grump and snap at people you know how you know how do you go from praying one minute to being a complete jerk in the next minute and so sometimes it puts you in a good good state of mind and so i i can definitely see how if you're just going to go with a utilitarian <laughs> outlook on this, like I can see how that can be a good thing that you don't snipe at your nurses and you don't make people cry and people don't run out of your OR upset. Like you, you can naturally be a pretty good person. Um, and he also likes to point out that it's hard to be, you know, asking for help from the uh, the from God and then turn around and act as if you're, you're the God. He's like, it's hard to do that. So he make, makes you be a little humble, like, you know, cause generally sur surgeons have a, a notorious for having a God complex. 
and <laughs> it's like it's hard to have a god complex if you're you're constantly trying to pray for guidance and humility from from god so i, I can kind of, again I, I see a lot of his um a lot of practical usage if not just a spiritual benefit of what he what he does in the or so the two very different surgeons at least as far as how they approach um the or environment but in both situations the or environment is very pleasant Karen's yawning. <laughs> Sorry. Is it late, Karen? <laughs> I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. You don't <laughs> say. Two of our kiddos were up. So. Well, and he had he had offered a couple suggestions of where we could take the kids or take the family at. Oh yeah, we've at been various times, getting... but we'll we'll uh, probably hit that closer to match time when. Uh, Eric, know, yeah, Eric when Karen's trying to keep me from going crazy. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But all in all, I, I really have enjoyed the ortho rotation. I mean, I have a long history of orthopedics, so there's a there's a genuine like and appreciation for the, the specialty. And to some degree, also, there's a little bit of ease on diagnosis. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, we, we, we basically don't have to know anything. But there's a lot of times, like, patients will point to where they, where things hurt. And there's definitely some gray areas here and there, but generally speaking, like, you can try to based on the anatomy, based on what's there in that location, knowing where referred pain might come from, where nerve pain might emanate from, and two, you can like get a pretty good sense just from a physical exam and a history, a pretty good idea of what's going on. And then, of course, you augment it with imaging and nerve conduction studies, and you might get in a pretty good spot. And so there, there's something nice to it, kind of feeling like after, at the end of the appointment, you have a good idea of what's wrong with the patient and what you're going to try to do for them. And, you know, obviously modern medicine, we don't have answers for everything. So certain presentations, we're going, okay, I have a pretty good idea what we're going to do for you, but I can't guarantee we're going to fix all your problems. <laughs> so, and another thing I, I do like is that a lot of all the surgeons I've worked with so far, as much as surgery is their bread and butter, I never have gotten the impression from them that patients must do surgery like they don't walk into a room and go let's schedule your surgery is get taken care of i mean with the odd exception of fractures when like it's displaced it's completely offset like there's no way i can reduce the fracture without putting you under without having some sort of incision to get a hold of the fracture part and replay you know move it to the right spot Generally, those are the only exceptions, but most of the time when it's like, okay, well, you have carpal tunnel syndrome, let's attack it with some conservative treatment. And when it finally gets to the point where you you can't stand it anymore, then let's talk about surgery. Like, n- none of them have been like, surgery is going to fix it, so let's just jump to the surgery. Like, they're, they're not, like, ready to go on surgery. They they like to approach it, conservative, everything conservatively, and the patient will let them let you know when it's time for surgery. <laughs> And I, I do appreciate that because I don't know. I, I, it's nice to know that you know you're not not being pushed or coerced or manipulated into having surgery that you may not be ready for or whatnot. Yeah. And I'm not saying any surgeon I've worked with before does that. It's just I, I do appreciate that. Uh, something I haven't seen. I haven't not having been in uh, fly on the wall in my previous ortho clinic during an entire exam like that. This has been a nice uh, thing to see, and I'm sure. Again, my previous ortho clinic might have done the same thing. I just wasn't in the room present for it. Anywho, 
I would, I guess I would strongly encourage anyone who's thinking surgical specialties to at least take a look at orthopedics. And I know it's highly competitive. It's, <laughs> they don't have a whole lot of, uh, uh, residency programs out there and I mean again highly competitive so odds are not great but it's such a kind of a cool field it's if you like surgery this is kind of a cool thing and I again I, I know we're kind of getting a little bit long on time but me and Karen have talked about this in the past and even last week uh, I think Matt mentioned you know the long hours of surgery of general surgery the long hours and the crazy schedule and I understand ortho clinic can be kind of crazy like seeing seven i think we saw 75 patients today and that was split between like the surgeon and the pa so you know 35 each is not terrible <laughs> or 30 you know 35 40 each it's not terrible but it's still a lot of patients in one day but their schedule seems to work pretty good as far as the or time how much time you spend in the operating room when you get done there's of course some notable exceptions i i think i talked to you know, when we were we recorded with matt I was technically on call with Dr. Phillips, and he was supposed to let me know if he was going to do the case at Piedmont. Well, he did at 8 o'clock at night. Oh. And he was like, it's too late. I'm not texting him to come here at 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> and so he just did the case. So there was, there was odd occasions where that you're going to have to operate at kind of a terrible, not, not such a great hour and it's not very convenient but what i do like about this orthopedic practice is that they have some mentalities that i would like to have if i was practicing i know and it always sounds weird when you tell people like oh i don't really want to work for myself i want to work in a practice with other people because I, I don't want to have my own building and i have to make all of the executive decisions i want to work with other people who want to work as well I want to work with other, you know, if I get orthopedics, I want to work with a bunch of orthopedics that want to work. If I get internal medicine, I want to work with a bunch of internal medicine doctors so that we can kind of share the load with each other. That I can rely on them and they can rely on me. And what I like about this orthopedic practice is that the, the kind of standing rule is, is that if you're at the hospital, anything that comes at the hospital is yours. So you're operating that day on a Tuesday and you're doing a bunch of cases and something comes through the ED well, they just put it on your schedule. You just kind of do, you just kind of keep working. Or if a consult comes in, you go and see the consult. Like, then they don't drag another surgeon in while he's in clinic. And just as much as, like, if one of your patients, post op patients, comes in and goes, Oh, I really need to be seen today, they don't drag you from the hospital back to the clinic. They just put that patient on a clinic. And there's some pros and cons to that, and I can I recognize that. Like, if you want to see all your own patients and you don't really want anyone to screw up your work, there's a bit of a con there. But I, I know I like the idea of everyone's kind of doing equal amount of work, and you're you're not passing things back and forth. It's like if you're on call, you're on call, and it's a little bit different. But like. You're not passing the buck. You're not. It just leads to a better quality of life for everybody. Yeah, if, everyone. If you, everyone's able to get home at a reasonable hour, and <laughs> not like crisscrossing the city. Yeah. So I think the last thing is, um, we are trying to get Eric some one-on-one -on -one time with the kiddos before his away rotations because he'll have um, basically what two months. Yeah, there's... Where the first month he'll probably be able to come home most weekends. Maybe. We're not sure what the schedule looks yeah. like, but we'll have two away rotations back to back as it, as it stands right now. And so I know the kids tend to like doing... We do like races on the Switch at night, and that's going to be kind of something that we're not going to be able to do together 
uh, hopefully Karen can carry on the tradition as long as they're, they're being good. But yeah. even still, like not seeing them, not even be able to put them in bed, not seeing them in the morning. Um, I think that's going to be kind of rough on me as well as them. So we're trying to get in some special time as we can find it before we get to that crazy two month period, because it's going to be like two months and then I'm back. I still have to do rotations and then baby's going to be there. So it's going to be kind of a lot happening all at once. And I, I want the kids to feel as secure as they can. And so we did a dinosaur ex- adventure. The Perry um, Fairgrounds had some sort of dinosaur adventure thing. So we went to that. I took the two oldest kids and they had a good time. I mean, it was like replica dinosaurs all over the place and some bounce house. I was a little nervous about the bounce house because my oldest is a a very physical child. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of children younger than him and whatnot are not very physical. And and it's not, you know, he, he needs to learn some limitations and you know needs to know his own strength and hopefully he doesn't learn it based off of what he does to somebody else but he i mean he's not a mean kid he doesn't like go around punching people but he he gets a little rough on some of the bounce house stuff and we we did okay i think this weekend and we he gets to ride a dinosaur they had like a little dinosaur that kind of rocks back and forth and makes roaring noises and he got a he got to do that and the other the other oldest child got to do that as well so they they had, a, they had a pretty good time, lots of pictures, and then I, I think Karen hates this about me, but they generally can sucker me into getting them random <laughs> gifts, so <laughs> they got some dinosaur gifts, and Otis got a dinosaur, like a sword, sword. so he's pretty ecstatic about that until his sister broke it, but <laughs> and his, sister, his sister got a uh, an egg. Um, that is supposed to hatch a dinosaur, but five why? days. <laughs> why would they create a a child's toy that they have to wait five to eight days for it to hatch? Don't you know kids are notoriously no, notable, no, notoriously known for their patience, and <laughs> <laughs> like they're definitely gonna sit there and be like, "No problem, I'll wait five days for my toy to be hatched out of this egg." Anyways, it's it's pretty funny because she wants to check it every two seconds. But they had a great time just based off how, how much they have talked about it. So, anyways, yeah, we're trying to get find a, find opportunities to do that as much as we can, and yeah, we'll see. But we're we're getting running kind of a, a little bit long to this week, so we should probably just wrap it up. Yep, you can follow us on Instagram MedFamilyMD or any of your typical podcast podcast platforms and sorry just the last little thing here i I know there's some students who are getting ready for the cbses and that's in like two weeks from now just study it hard do questions i mean it's basically like studying for step one questioning questions questions Um, i hope you guys all do really well on your exams and i think you put in the hard work it'll pay off so put in that hard work and you know reap the benefits later Uh, Good luck on the exams, and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye.